Your presence tonight, we have some of our family at White Oak who are away from us, traveling for various reasons, and we certainly want to keep them in our prayers as they are returning to us. I had a text message from the Huter family, Jared and Courtney, and of course their two little ones are on their way back from the uh, Jared's grandmother's funeral. They have had a good visit, they said, and uh, good memories and a good visit with family during a, a sad time in the loss of Jared's grandmother. But they are returning. Of course, uh, Nellie and Tom Haycock are away in the Smokies, and uh, Steve and Ella Pell uh, also. And I sent Steve a text today to give him the good news about our brother Ed uh, Hopkins being restored to his first love uh, this morning. And uh, they're having a good uh, a good trip uh, as well. So we have some away from us, but we have some visitors. Good to see Gene uh, Struther here with us tonight. Gene and Sherry are members at Chesapeake, Virginia. He's a long way from home, but uh, they are wonderful people. They've been great supporters of Good News Today and uh, just great supporters of us personally and such great encouragers and faithful workers in the kingdom. And um, I love going to Chesapeake, uh, to the congregation there. Uh, been on their lectureship uh, a couple of times, preached a gospel meeting there. We were there last October, as a matter of fact, and it's just a wonderful congregation there, God's people. We love Gene and Sherry and all those folks there. Uh, Jerry Reynolds is a very fine preacher there, and um, I think I may have mentioned, I'm not sure, that Armand Wine, uh, who is also a member there, he and his wonderful family, fine Christian family, uh, Herman and Veronica and their two daughters and Armand, their son. He's a recent graduate of Memphis School of Preaching and has located here in Chattanooga with the Avondale congregation, working with their young people. And um, so we are delighted to have Armand in our area working with the Avondale Church. They're a fine Christian family, and uh, we're looking forward to spending time with him and encouraging him all we can as well. So we've got some Chesapeake connection here and not just visiting with us tonight, but Armand, who is uh, now in our community and working in this area. Good to see everyone tonight, and certainly appreciate your presence here with us. We are studying, of course, the Great Sermon on the Mount in a series on Sunday evening, and we are ready for the verse, and that's all we're going to look at tonight, is simply one verse that's rather unusual uh, for us, but I think you will understand why we are doing that when you realize what that verse is. It's Matthew 7, verse 12, which as the New King James renders it, simply says, Therefore, whatever you want me to do to you, or what men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That has been described more often than not as the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so as we approach our study of the familiar words of the golden rule, we need to ask, well, what is its relationship to the rest of the sermon? Because notice how verse 12 begins, and we've often talked about this word, it begins, therefore, and as we said, many times when we see therefore, we need to look and see what it's there for. It uh, is not out of context, and so really, what is the 
context. What does the therefore take us back to? Well, really, it takes us all the way back to, to verse 1, I think. Judge not that you not be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and so on. And we've studied those verses, and really, those verses tie in, do they not, to the therefore here. In other words, don't judge in a way that you don't want to be judged. And so we can see the context in which the Lord gives this statement in verse 12 that is so often called the golden rule. And then verses 7 through 11 are really not a digression either. Uh, he tells us not to, to judge, and he tells us to ask and to seek and to, to knock. In other words, to continue to strive for that spirit through our prayer and through our diligent effort to make possible the practice of the golden rule. In other words, apply ourselves diligently to the kind of attitude, the kind of study, the kind of prayer life that will enable us to then become practitioners of what is called the golden rule. So I think we can see why the therefore is there. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And really, this is the last instruction we find in the great Sermon on the Mount that relates to our relationship with others, and especially the sin of condemning rather than loving. Condemning others rather than loving others. And oh yes, this statement is well described as the golden rule. Oh, I don't, uh, I don't doubt that you've heard of the other rules that uh, men live by, and they've been called by various designations, but generally they are basically described as, one, the iron rule. And the iron rule is the rule that says, basically, might makes right. Might makes right. It's based on brutality. It's based on cruelty. It is truly a satanic principle. Where did it begin? Well, we can say that it began, the iron rule did, with Cain as he killed his brother Abel. It was carried on then throughout time by the Pharaohs, by Alexander the Great, by the Caesars of, of Rome, by Hitler in more modern times. And we see the iron rule practiced today many times in government. We see the iron rule practiced in business. We see it practiced at times tragically in the home. And yes, most tragically at times, we see it practiced even in the church. And I can give you a scriptural example of where it was practiced in, in the early church. You remember John's third epistle and what he had to say in that epistle that he wrote to the beloved brother Gaius at verses 9 and 10? He wrote this, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and listen to this, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Not only he, will he not receive the brethren, but 
concerning those who do receive them, he puts them out of the church. Now, that's the iron rule. And that's the iron rule in the church. What a tragic, tragic situation existed there with this man claiming to be a member of the body of Christ. And so the iron rule is the soil of tyranny. The iron rule is the soil of, of oppression. But then there is something that is quite often called the brass rule. The brass rule. And the brass rule basically has as its thrust, do unto others as they do unto you. Do unto others as they do unto you. In other words, treat others as they treat you. Good for good. Evil for evil. And it is uh, called the rule of justice or the rule of retaliation or the rule of reciprocation. In other words, you do the, to me, I'm going to do it to you. And that's better than the iron rule, but it's far from being what we should be concerned about practicing in our lives. In fact, it may be better than the iron rule, but it is still condemned, really, when we look at New Testament principles and especially Romans chapter 12. Listen to Paul's writings there in Romans 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the brass rule is condemned in Christianity. And then there's the silver rule. The silver rule says basically this, let us do nothing to others that we would not want others to do to us. Don't do anything to someone else that you would not want them to do to you. And it's said that this was a rule that was basically introduced by Confucius. And it is far better, but it is still not constructive because it's all negative, isn't it? It's all in negative terms. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. That's all negative. But there's a more excellent way, and that more excellent way was given by the most excellent human being who was also deity who ever walked the earth, the Lord himself, in this great Sermon on the Mount. And it is a principle set forth here in the Sermon on the Mount that permeates all of New Testament teaching, the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, that's proactive, isn't it? Whatever you want them to do to you, you do it to them. Do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We'll talk more about that last phrase in the verse in just a few moments. It's been said that the different philosophies about which we have just spoken briefly, the iron rule, the brass rule, the silver rule, those three are and the golden rule as well, all four are illustrated for us in the story or the account of the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
In that parable, as recorded in Luke 10, who practiced the iron rule? The robbers did. The ones who robbed this man and left him half dead, as far as they were concerned, he could go ahead and die. They had no concern. That was the iron rule. What, what you have, I'll take, and I'll take it any way I can get it. Might makes right. That's the iron rule. That's what the robbers practiced. But then you have the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite practiced the brass and silver rules. No, they didn't do the man any further harm, but they certainly didn't do him any good, did they? But then you have the Samaritan who practiced the golden rule. The golden rule. And what an extraordinary statement it is. It is a summary statement, really, of so much that's already been preached by our Lord here in this great Sermon on the Mount. Tremendous summary statement of all of that. It's the epitome of what he summed up in another place in the Gospel according to Matthew at Matthew 22, verse 39. After stating that the first and great commandment is to love God with all your soul, strength, heart, mind, he says, you shall love your neighbor. The second, like unto it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what we're looking at here in the Sermon on the Mount is also what James called the royal law. The royal law. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James says you do well. James 2 and verse 8. So what does the golden rule really mean? Well, it means that we have to start with ourselves rather than with others. That's where the practice or the implementation of the golden rule has to begin. It has to begin with me. It has to begin with self, individually. In other words, I need to ask myself, what do I like? What do I like? What, what pleases me? What helps me? What encourages me? What lifts me up? And when I ask myself those questions, then I need to also ask myself, well, what, what do I dislike? What, what are the things that most upset me? What are the things that bring out the worst in me? What are the things that are most hateful to me? What are the things that are most discouraging to me? And after I make my lists, then I need to deal with others by thinking, you know, they're a lot like I am. They're a lot like I am. They have the same feelings that I have. The same things, for the most part, are going to be the things that encourage them and help them and please them. By the same token, on the negative side, the things that hurt them the most, that are most discouraging to them, the things that bring out the worst in them, those are the things that apply to them as well as to me. In other words, it's putting ourselves, constantly putting ourselves, not occasionally putting ourselves, but constantly putting ourselves in the position of others. And so when I do that constantly, then I don't say unkind things to people because I don't like to have unkind things said to me. I don't want people making my life difficult. 
so I'm not going to make their lives difficult. I don't want to be hurt, so I'm not going to hurt others. And so in my relations with my fellow elder, Steve Pell here, for example, I'm going to put myself in his shoes, hopefully, and never say or do or act in such a way that would cause him hurt or harm or discouragement because I don't want him to do that to me. In the member's relationship to the elders, then what the members need to think is, suppose I were an elder. Suppose I were in that position. How would I want the members to relate to me? And as an elder, what about the members? How would I feel if, they're, if I'm in their situation? You see, it's all about reciprocation. It's all about thinking in terms of others. As an employer, I have to think, well, suppose I were the employee. And vice versa, if I'm an employee, suppose I, was the, I were the employer. In my marriage, I have to think, suppose I were the wife, suppose I were the child, suppose I were the husband. And I need to think about what pleases those other people, what discourages them, and avoid that at all cost. You know, all the textbooks that you could ever read on ethics on social responsibility, on human relations, all of it can be summed up right here. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. That's how it's all beautifully summarized by the greatest teacher who ever taught the perfect sinless Son of God. Basically, the great problem of our times is the problem of human relationships. It's not really necessarily politics or money, but it's, it's all about relationships. And you think about, you think about what a different world we would have if we practiced the golden rule as nations interacting with other nations, as businesses in our homes, in congregations. Well, I can tell you one terribly tragic thing to which Bobby referred in his very fine prayer earlier that would never have occurred had the golden rule been practiced. And what happened Thursday here in Chattanooga would have never occurred, would it? It would have never happened. And note the Lord's supporting argument. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is something that goes back to the law of Moses. If the Pharisees had properly understood and applied the law of Moses, they would have understood that, that the law, the law was just not a, a set of rules and regulations, period, and things that had to be done in and of them selves, oh yes, there were rules and regulations, but they just viewed it that way and didn't get behind those rules and regulations, didn't get behind it to the motivation for keeping those rules. They viewed it as something negative. They viewed it as something prohibitive, and I'm afraid that that attitude has 
carried over many times to, to those in our day. And yes, even at times to those in the church who accuse those who are, who are intent on keeping the commandments of God as being legalist and buddy-duddies, etc. Stodgy. <laughs> Stodgy. They felt, the Pharisees did, it was an end in itself, the law was. But here, Jesus puts all law in beautiful summary. All law is summarized beautifully here. Why does the law tell us not to steal? Why does the law tell us not to kill? Why does the law tell us not to commit adultery, etc.? We refrain not just to keep law, but because we love our neighbors as ourselves. We love one another. And that's why we refrain. You know, you go back to the law of Moses and the old law. The law said that if one saw his neighbor's ox go astray, what should he do? Take it home to him. Take it home. So here you've got a, uh, an Israelite who sees a fellow Israelite's ox. And let's say it's uh, the first time he's gotten out, but he sees him and he says, Well... He's out. I've got to take him back. That's what the law says. I don't want to, but I'll take him back because that's what the law says to do. So he takes him back. And then the ox gets out again. And then he says, oh, he's out again. And the law says I've got to take him back, and I cannot stand the thought of doing it, but I've got to do it, so I'm going to do it. And third time the ox gets out, and then the Israelites... Well, he might say, I think I'm going to build my neighbor a fence that will keep the ox in. <laughs> but, but the point is, whether it's the first time the ox gets out, the second time the neighbor's ox gets out, what should his motivation be for taking it home? Because it was the law and he had to do it? Or did he return it because he knew how much, how much, his neighbor would appreciate someone bringing his ox back home to him. And so he did it out of regard for his neighbor and out of consideration and compassion for his neighbor. You know, I value my life, and I know you value yours. I don't want someone taking my life from me, nor do you. And so I dare not destroy the life of another. Our reputations are precious to us, So we do not want someone to destroy our reputations and therefore I dare not destroy another's reputation. But you know, there can be some abuses in the application of the golden rule. Sometimes people might carry it too far. For one thing, someone might say, well, that's the plan of salvation right there. That's the plan of salvation. If I just keep the golden rule, I'll be saved. No, you'd be lost according to Scripture. Even if you practiced the golden rule, it might be possible to practice the golden rule outside of Christ because this has to do with our relationship to others. And so I might determine that I'm going to follow this in my relationship to others, but how is that going to affect my relationship to God? I have to make sure that my relationship to God is what it should be before I can practice in Christ as a Christian the golden rule and have it 
do me any good as far as my eternal salvation is concerned. So it's an abuse to say that one can be saved by keeping the golden rule alone. And some think that it might require of us an obligation to grant all the requests of others. Well, a parent might say, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to be punished. And so a parent says, I don't like to be punished, so therefore, I'm not going to punish my child. That's an abuse of the golden rule, isn't it? Obviously. A judge realizes he doesn't want to go to jail himself, so he's not going to send anybody else to jail. Now, that's an obvious abuse of the golden rule, isn't it? And so the rule must never be applied where it would involve wrongdoing or where it would involve the neglect of our duty. But consider this important question with me. Why do men not keep the golden rule? Why is it that for the most part men do not keep the golden rule? Why do we live as we do? Why are there wars among nations? Why are there disputes? Why are there quarrels? Why, are, why is there unhappiness? Why is there jealousy? Why is there backbiting? Why is there gossip. And that's something that affects the church very much so. I alluded this morning in another way to Michael Shank's latest book on When Shovels Break, a very excellent book designed to bring the wayward back to Christ. And he has one chapter in there where he deals with two of the greatest problems in the Lord's church. And as I recall, Arrogance was one, people looking down on others for various reasons and not accepting them as they should. And gossip, I think, was his uh, second problem that he felt permeated the church in many places more than any other thing. And so we've got to make sure that that's not characteristic of us here, of course. And we need to try to do all that we can to keep it out of any congregation where we can have any kind of influence. But... He pointed that out. It's a serious matter, backbiting, jealousy, gossip. Why does it happen? Violation of the golden rule. Violation of the golden rule. Why do men not keep it? Because men are sinners. The first statement of the gospel is that man is sinful. He's carnal. And his mind unless it is retrained and renewed by the teaching of the gospel of Christ, is going to be enmity against God. The problem can all be summarized in one word, really, self. It really is all summarized in one word. It gets us back to self. And so we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It, the scripture never tells you not to love yourself. Because you are to love yourself in the proper way, but you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And many times we don't practice the golden rule because we only think of self rather than others. Many times men are self-centered, self-satisfied, self-protecting, self-concerned. And so that's why we have wars. And that's why we have marital strife and so many other things that are so tragic 
and hurtful in our world today. So how can we implement the golden rule? We have to start with God. We have to start with God. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Notice the order there. First love God, then love neighbor. Self is last, isn't it? And one never can see himself in the proper light, nor can one ever see his neighbor in the proper light until he sees both himself and his neighbor as God sees both of them. We have to see ourselves as God does. And we also have to see our neighbor as God sees our neighbor. And God loves our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Jesus taught it in the parable of the Good Samaritan. All men are our neighbors. Therefore, we're to love all men. God alone matters. His holiness his almightiness, his creatorship, his worthiness. All of the human glory, all of the human pomp, all of that is but trivial. And all that matters is God and our relationship to God and how that relationship will dictate our relationship with others. You see, we have to see ourselves as sinners as we see ourselves as God does, and see ourselves with the attitude as sinners that that publican saw himself in Luke 18, when unlike the Pharisee who bragged on himself throughout his communication with God, which did him no good whatsoever, he went away from the temple unjustified. But our attitude has to be as that publican's attitude, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we've got to quit thinking about our rights and our dignity and our pride, and then we'll see others as we should see them. They are the fellow victims of sin. They are in the same predicament, and they need and want the same things we do. And we realize also that God deals with us as a father who loves us. This beautiful statement, therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, is repeated throughout the gospel message. It's there. And as we close, think about yourself for a moment. We've said that the whole problem with the failure to keep the golden rule is self. But now I want you to think about self for a moment in another way. And that is yourself in relation to your soul. As we said earlier, you can't practice the golden rule and have it positively affect your eternal salvation until you first think about yourself in relation to your soul and bring your soul into harmony with the will of God. 
practicing the golden rule outside of Christ will avail nothing. Oh, it, it certainly will make, make life a lot more pleasant for those people with whom you come in contact, obviously. It's better than the iron rule by far, even if it's practiced outside of Christ in terms of some good that it will do to others, but no eternal good will redound to your soul. It's only by bringing your soul into harmony with the will of God that you can practice the golden rule that will impact your eternal salvation. And so tonight, as we close these thoughts about this beautiful summary passage in Matthew seven twelve, have you brought your life into harmony with the will of God? Through belief in Jesus as the Christ, the master teacher, through repentance of sin, confession of his sweet name, and burial and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If not, we plead with you to do that, that you may leave here tonight as one who can truly practice the golden rule and live that golden rule in a way that will not only impact your eternal soul, but will impact the eternal souls of others potentially as they are drawn to the Lord through your beautiful example. You need to come home as our good brother did this morning and thrilled our hearts and caused the angels themselves to rejoice. We plead with you to do that as we stand to sing to encourage you.